Today is the first day I have worked on April 1st in a lot of years, and the reason is, is because today is your boy's birthday. Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, it's my birthday. Uh, first time, really probably in DC history, I'm wearing a suit. Uh, hey, so birthday suits, right? Um, <laughs> if you're new here, you're like, I am not going to this church. I heard Four Oaks is good. Um, hey, well, we're excited that you're here with us on, on Easter morning, and uh, and I'm going to take a little bit of time to uh, really kind of talk about um, why I believe uh, in Jesus. And uh, the reason why I want to talk about that is if it's your first time here, maybe your fifth or 500th, and I kind of use that verbiage, but the, uh, the essence behind that is if you are wrestling with the idea of Christianity and or of God, um, of Jesus, of the Bible, uh, then a lot of times what happens is there is someone who will tell you about their story uh, and how they came to find their belief in Jesus, perhaps how they came to find, maybe they describe this way, their faith or their testimony. And as interesting as that is, um, and as cool as narratives are and powerful as stories are, for me, one of the things that I just find fascinating is the why behind stuff. In other words, why would anybody in 2018 put their faith, their hope, their trust in a Jewish carpenter uh, who lived in a little town called Nazareth a couple thousand years ago. Why in the world uh, would anybody place their entire uh, worldview, their ideology, their salvific hope in some ancient documents, in some ancient texts that happened a couple thousand years ago to a guy who claimed some stuff and then died and then claimed to come back from the dead. So today, what I want to do, since it's my birthday and I have a microphone and I can do whatever the heck I want, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about, for me, why I'm a Christian. Now, this might not be your why, and this might not be the ultimate turning point for you in faith as you're wrestling, but here's what I'm hoping. If it's your first time and you're wrestling with faith, or perhaps you've been here for a long time and you are well acquainted with Jesus and you've been going to church and you've been walking with Jesus faithfully for a long time, I hope that if yet's you, you walk away from today with more confidence in your faith, with some concrete thoughts about how you can place your entire hope, your entire salvation in Jesus. And I hope that if it's your first time here, maybe, maybe today connects with you or perhaps today just gives you something something to think about as you wrestle with faith. Because for anybody and everybody in here, as you wrestle with faith, the thing that you have to wrestle with, and I'm not just talking about the Christian faith, I mean religion in general, but as you're surveying perhaps world religions, the thing that you have to wrestle with at some point is the narrative of the empty tomb on Easter morning. Now, to get us there, to kind of get going, we're going to read from a letter that Paul wrote uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. And as we read from that, uh, the problem with beginning at that point, as anyone knows, is to say you should believe in something or I believe in something based on this authoritative text. If we don't share the same idea that this text is authoritative, then it's kind of like defining a word by using a word it's circular at best. Now, here's what I want us to do to reframe for anybody in here questioning and that doesn't necessarily hold the Bible in a high regard. I want to spend a couple minutes reframing what we're about to read. And here's what I mean by that. The letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in fact, if you don't know familiar with the Bible, there's a guy named Paul. Paul wrote a lot of what we have in the New Testament. Now, some of the letters that Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament are considered um, debatable as to the authorship. 
Some people believe Paul wrote it. Some people believe somebody else wrote it. But the letter we're going to read today is virtually universally agreed on by all scholars that Paul wrote. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul, Paul was the biggest church planner. The church starts, Jesus rises from, the, rises from the dead. Paul hated the church, wanted to kill the church. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Paul then goes back and starts planting churches all around the Mediterranean rim. Christian or not, believer or not, religious or not. Almost everyone, every historian agrees that Paul is one of the most impactful and influential leaders in all of Western history. Paul's impact on our world today, they say, is so great, it's almost difficult to trace what the world would be like had Paul not been here. And for me, I love reading autobiographies of leaders because I love to get in their mind. If you're looking for a couple, by the way, let me just give you a couple recommendations. This might be the only thing you learn from church today. But... If you've never read Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom, you haven't done yourself a, a favor yet because you need to read that. It's a fantastic book. Colin Powell's you know, autobiography, Frederick Douglass's autobiography. There's some fantastic autobiographies, but I just nerd out over that stuff because I'm interested in what happened, but I want to know inside the mind of the person who was there, what were they thinking from these extraordinary leaders? So this isn't the Bible says, this is Paul, an influential, impactful leader who wrote a letter that is a historically authenticated document to another church, okay? So all that to say, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul leads off and he says this. Now I'm to remind you, or I would remind you brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you, which you have received and which you stand. He says, now I'm kind of writing to remind you of some stuff. And by which you are being saved... If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, let me tell you what Paul's about to you know, write to him and why he's going to say it. In the early church, as, as the idea and the thought of Jesus was new on the scene, and Paul would go around and plant churches. He had spent time a couple of different times in this city called Corinth. There would be other teachers that came in from other religions and would say a whole lot of different things. And Paul would oftentimes write to clarify what he had said previously. On this particular occasion, Paul is writing because there was an idea that started to invade the church. And this was the idea that when you die, that's it. That when you die, nothing else happens. That you have a life on earth and yeah, there's a God. But when you die, death is the end. And what Paul is going to do is he is going to connect the resurrection with us as Christians or us as people, our lives after death. And in doing that, Paul is going to give us one of the greatest texts, one of the greatest authored ideas towards the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, he says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, if you've got a pen with you and you've got your own Bible, you can underline that word first importance. And here's, here's the significance of that. What the foundation of the early church, what the first importance, what the absolute cornerstone behind every single person's faith in the entire movement of Jesus was simple. It was Jesus' death for our sins in resurrection from the dead. Jesus' death for our sins in resurrection from the dead. And here's why that is so important as a first importance. When it comes to Christianity... We build our faith on a whole lot of things that aren't that. We basically create a house of cards, and if one part or one piece is taken out, our entire faith crumbles. 
And here's maybe how we do that in a more functional way. If you're going to believe in Jesus, then as a part of believing in Jesus, in fact, as kind of the proving grounds of believing in Jesus, you have to assent to the idea that the world was created in about seven days, about 7,000 years ago. If you're going to believe in Jesus, then we believe, you know, that you have to believe that a guy actually got swallowed by a whale and lived in the belly for a few days. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to believe that the scripture is inerrant. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad things to think about and wrestle with. And some of you guys from more conservative background, you're like, we're definitely not going to this church next week. Okay. But stick with me. But here's the thing. The premise of our faith is that a guy came back from the dead. We're starting at the impossible. So to think that anything else is possible is only seen through that lens. In other words, for some of you, especially if you're in the college and you studied religion, I got my degree from religion at Florida State, which is not taught from a biblical worldview. It's taught from a very secular and scholarly worldview, which I thought was fantastic because I love for my faith to be challenged. If someone says, Ben, here's what to believe, I'm like, eh, I don't believe that. But if someone's like, here's what not to believe, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, you know, debate time. Let's, let's, let's gear up. So... You might have heard that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 seemed opposed to each other. And you thought, I never heard that. And all of a sudden you heard that Isaiah was, had, was to be written in three different parts. And you're like, no way. And then there's this, you know, this, this Q source and this priestly source because you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you say, okay, those kind of sound the same. And then you read John and, you, and everybody's saying, where did John come from? The answer, left field because nobody knows. And you heard that and all of a sudden your religion had been built on this idea that there is nothing nothing and there is no way and there is no shape or there is no form that the Bible should ever, ever, ever be questioned. And you began to question and all of a sudden your faith fell apart. I think those are extraordinarily important things for you to think about and wrestle with and research. But that was never the first importance. Extraordinarily important to learn about. But Paul said, let me remind you of the very first piece of this whole idea. And here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, there was this general thought and this idea that Jesus saw us, that God saw us, that we saw God. And that we knew that we couldn't stand before God in his good graces or in his holiness and stand in our own good works. Because you and I all have this universal problem called sin. That's not individually condemning, it's universally condemning. All of us have done it. All of us have felt it. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And as with anything, when there has been a relational rift, there has to be some type of a restitution that, has, that is to be paid. Some type of, of way to right the wrong, essentially. Well, the gap was too big. You and I couldn't do that. And so God sent his son, Jesus, into the earth. He continues. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. No, he's saying, and this is the corner piece. This is the first importance. This is the first stone. This is, let's just be honest. If Jesus didn't die and and be rose from the dead, if that is the beginning piece, and if that didn't happen, who cares if the Bible's inerrant? If that didn't happen, who cares if a guy can live in in the belly of a big fish, a.k.a. a whale? You know, if that didn't happen, who cares if a sea can be parted? If that didn't happen, then who cares about anything else? Heard a guy say it this way. 
If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then, then, then none of this matters. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, then nothing else matters. So Paul, knowing this, does not just leave that to be thought about. He begins to unpack this idea of Jesus raising from the dead and giving a historical account of how it unfolded. Verse 5. And then, or in that he appeared to Cephas. Now Cephas is a guy named Peter who you probably may or may not have heard about. But Peter was one of the main disciples. And then to the twelve. So he starts to say, okay, so first, and he says, you know, come on, Corinthians, you, you, you were there. You, you remember this. You've heard the story. First he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the 12, and then he's going to say one of the most significant verses that I think is in our New Testament. This is what he says. Verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, I know, you know Corinthians, you know, I, I know this might be difficult. I know you've got some teachers saying some things. But let me just tell you, the resurrection happened. The resurrection happened. The resurrection happened. He, he showed up to Peter, and then he showed up to the 12. And then he showed up to over 500 people at one time, many of whom are still alive. Now, you can't miss this. The Bible wasn't written for us. Paul didn't wake up one morning and think, you know what, man, I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. I had a sweet cup of coffee, and I'm about to write the Bible today that people are for thousands of years, they're going to gather in Tallahassee, Florida in 2018 to be like, oh my gosh, Paul had a wonderful night sleep at a Holiday Inn, and here's the Bible. This was a collection of documents. In fact, this is kind of an aside, and I probably don't have time to say this, but what's interesting is we don't believe stuff because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it was believable. There was tons of documents. This is like you would never have a collection of American short stories and you have an anthology that was the best, you know, the greatest American short stories in history. And you wouldn't say, well, the only reason it's a good short story is because it's in the book. It's like, no, it's in the book because. Anyways, that's an aside. But what Paul is saying in this, what Paul is saying is you can't miss. He's saying, and if you don't believe me, go talk to him. You don't have to take my word for it. Over 500 brothers at the same time he showed up to. Now, Paul, who had been trained in the law as a Pharisee, was on his way to becoming what was called part of the Sanhedrin, which was essentially the Supreme Court of Jewish law, was a lawyer by training. And the reason that he signifies men is because men in their culture, not in our culture, in their culture, was the only people whose, whose testimony had weight. You see, you read the narrative. And the women show up first, right? They were on their game that Easter morning. And they come back and they tell the guys, hey, he's not there. And then the guys go to check it out. And he appears to Peter, the 12. And he said, and if you don't believe me, I mean, come on, we'll, we'll just start marching them in the courtroom. You know, witness number one, witness number 47, Witness number 147, witness number 197, witness number 242, witness number 248, witness number 400, you know, we skip the 300s because, you know, you get the point. You know, witness number 410, 415, 420. He says, come on, come on. you can talk to them yourself. Some of them have, have interestingly fallen asleep. Now, they didn't say fall asleep because they were trying to think of a nice way to say die. They weren't just saying, you know, oh, he kicked the bucket. They believed so much in the resurrection that they actually believed this wasn't the end, that people were coming back 
from the dead. And Paul said, and you don't have to take my word for it. You can talk to any of the people because most of them are still alive. He continues. Verse seven. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one, untimely unborn, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles. Now, Paul isn't just being, you know, self-deprecating in this thought process. It's, it's not just this, you know, oh, Paul, you're so deferential. You're so cool. No, he is saying this because let me tell you about Paul. Paul was so adamantly opposed to the church that Paul wanted to kill the church. In fact... I think these last, as, as interesting as the 500 people was, I think these last two people are some of the most extraordinary examples. He says, first he showed up to James. Let me tell you about James. James was the brother of Jesus. For those of you who have an older brother or an older sister, what would your brother or sister have to do to convince you that they were the son of God? It's like, right, right, right. I saw you eating Cheerios, you loser, you know? In fact, it's It's fascinating. James didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. He didn't believe he was the Messiah when he was alive. You know what changed James? When James saw his brother back from the dead after he had seen his brother crucified. James saw his mom crying because her son had just been murdered on a cross as an innocent man. And when James saw him come back from the dead and then Paul who has read the book of Acts, was standing giving approval when the very first Christian ever died for their faith. It said, and Saul was watching over giving approval. Saul then became Paul. Paul, who became a world changer as he had experienced the resurrected Jesus. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. No, Paul doesn't stop there. It gets better. Paul, who hated the church at one point, Paul, who hated Christians at one point, Paul, who was so zealous for the Jewish belief in wisdom and culture, had an experience where he saw and experienced the resurrected Jesus. And I want you to see how much weight Paul puts on the importance of the resurrection. Because for most of us, if you ever talk to a Christian and you say, well, what if you're wrong? You know, what if, what if you believe this whole thing and it just turns out, you know, you die and it's not true. Most people will respond by saying something along the lines of, well, at least I was a good person. I had a good life. I was happy. Now I want you to hear Paul's response to this. If this whole thing was wrong, it picks back up in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, how can some of you say that there's no afterlife? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So he says, I'm going to connect these two dots. Because Christ was raised, there is an afterlife. We can have assurance in the afterlife because Christ was raised from the dead. But let me tell you, verse 14, if that's not true, here's what I think. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain in your faith is in vain. In other words, we're not good people. What we're doing is in vain. It's pointless. It's worthless. It's meaningless. It's counterproductive. 
We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead were not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul says, let me just tell you, if I'm wrong about this, if I'm wrong about this, let me just tell you what's at stake here. It's not just, oh, I was a good person, led a good life, did some good things for some good people. And we all just were hunky-dory and lived happily after. Paul says, no, no, no. If this isn't true, we are still in our sins. If, false, if this isn't true, then, then everything that we have done in vain is in vain. And not just that it's, you know, kind of equal, just kind of, you know, a little bit counterproductive. Then we are found to be giving false representation of God. Now, this is from a guy who so deeply believed against the church, was raised in a culture so deeply against the church. He wasn't raised in the, you know, the South and the Bible Belt and his parents said, you know, you ought to believe in Jesus. And, you know, here's a little sticker thing for your Sunday school board. And he was, no, no, no. He persecuted, hated, killed the church. And he said, if this is not right, then we are still misrepresenting God and in our sins. In other words, that question that we all ask Because there's so many, and there's so much overlap between world religions, love of neighbor, love of God, charitable works, you know, acts of of community service, type stuff like that. But this is where all world religions split again. And Paul says, if this isn't true, then we are back to the drawing board. And every religion has a different answer for that. How do I find myself in God's good graces? For some, it's, you know, to become a God. For some, it's to go to heaven. For some, it's to become, you know, equal or one with God or like God. For some, it's to enter a state of nirvana. But for everybody, this is the central question of all religion in the world is how do I find myself in God's good graces? And Paul says, if this isn't true, if there wasn't a physical resurrection by Jesus, then we're still in our sins. And it gets worse. If in Christ, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, and if this is it, if this is it, if if, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if there's no life after this, if there's no Jesus coming back from the grave, if there wasn't a physical resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, it's not just that you don't have a good, that you have a good life. Paul says, if this is true, the entire world should look at Christians and pity them above every other person. That anybody who gathers together as a Christian on Easter Sunday, and if this isn't true, then the entire world ought to look at Christians gathering on Easter Sunday and say, that is just pitiful. Because what you're doing is in vain, you're still in your sins, you're misrepresenting God, and we pity you. From a guy who hated it so much. Let me tell you why. Because he saw a resurrected Jesus. And he said, you don't have to take my word for it. Talk to these 500 people. These 500 guys. We don't know how many kids were on board. We don't know how many ladies were on board. It was just 500 guys. Got at the same time. Paul said, man, talk to anyone. Most of them are still alive. 
You see, I love this thought about the resurrection. You want to know why I'm a Christian? It's because I'm so deeply convinced that Jesus came back from the grave that literally nothing else matters. I am so convinced that there was a resurrection. You want to know what happened on Easter morning? It's so funny. We gather in churches every Sunday, and we talk, you know, in our, not every Sunday, on Easter Sunday, and the, somebody gets up, and they you know, have this like, cool, deep voice, and they say, you know, he is risen. Everybody says, he is risen. Indeed, yeah. The problem is, that didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. Read, read the Bible for yourself. It's fascinating. You want to know what happened? The people go to the tomb. When I was little, I thought that, like, they went to the tomb, and they knew that it was about, like, someone was about to come up, and they're like, oh, he's, he's rising today. You know, they're all like, 10, 9, 8, you know, and then 3, 2, 1, and this, like, like spiritual, like, you know, streamer went off, and they, like, like, looked in the cave, like, oh, he's not there. I told him, he is risen, and everybody else said, indeed, you know? <laughs> you know here, I promise you, you, you should read the Bible for yourself. Here's what happens. Jesus over and over told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. And they would just be so insensitive and say, well, who's going to be the greatest, you know? But when, when Easter morning happened, they didn't say, he is risen. They said, where'd he go? We don't know. In fact, when, Mary, when, when the ladies went back to find the apostles, they didn't say, oh my gosh, he's risen every time. They went back and they said, you know, we don't know where he went. They said, what? He's gone? You know? And then one time she went back and they, some of the ladies went back and they said, you know, he is risen. You know what the apostles thought? And I'm talking about like the heroes of our faith, the guys who were the God squad. These were the guys who would change, I'm thinking, you know, they would change the world for the name of Jesus. You know what happened when they said he is risen it said it was as if it was a fairy tale on easter morning nobody expected no body they all expected when the ladies went they were carrying incense and myrrh you want to know why they were going to embalm him they weren't thinking, okay, let's just bring some essential oils. You know, I heard he died. He was crucified. We've got an oil for that. Um, let's diffuse it. They were going to embalm the body because nobody expected a resurrection. They had seen him crucified. But to this day, to this day, we have our entire world shaped by a resurrected Jesus. Even if you don't believe, let me tell you. You have your entire calendar that has been transitioned because of an event that happened to a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. That is the equivalent of saying, you want to know who the most influential person on planet Earth is right now? It's the Hardy's drive through worker in Wakulla, okay? We love Wakulla. Jesus loves Wakulla. Wakulla loves Jesus if you've seen the sign, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's crazy to think that. And the things about Jesus, you may or may not know this, the things about Jesus were not unique. For someone to perform miracles, not unique, common in their day. For someone to say that they, you know, someone to be a great teacher was not unique, common in their day. For someone to claim virgin birth, not unique, common in their day. That was part of the Jewish history and the Jewish tradition. For someone to claim all the things he claimed, for someone to do all the miracles that he did, for someone to even claim to be the son of God was not unique. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's an interesting meeting that happens among, among all the Jewish leaders where a wise guy stands up and says, hey, we don't believe that this happened, but if it did, 
then we don't want to get in its way. If it didn't happen, if this is all just a farce, if this is all just a fairy tale, then you know what? It's going to die like every other one of the guys who claimed and lived like he lived. But if this is true, we don't want to get in its way. The world changed. The disciples' world in eternity changed. The rest of our history was changed. Not because he was a great teacher, not even because we would claim that God came to earth, and not even because we would claim that this is, you know, Christianity is the religion where, you know, God reaches down to people and every other religion is people reaching up to God. Yeah, that, honestly, that's convenient at best. The reason I believe in Jesus, the thing that anchors my faith, the thing that if I want to go away from it, the thing that if some other things just look better, other things look nicer, other things look easier, because we all have those times maybe we question or we doubt or we just kind of want to walk away from our faith because it's just so much easier to live for ourselves. The resurrection is why I believe, because there are historical documents from eyewitnesses that wrote, that are authenticated, that changed their entire life, that based their entire existence, that the apostles themselves, the night that Jesus died, the absolute world changers denied him over and over and over again. And that would have been the story had they not seen or resurrected Jesus. And I'm convinced that nothing else on planet earth matters. That we have a God who so loved us, he gave his son to die for us. That no matter what our sins are, no matter what our struggles are, no matter how big or small your mountain of sin is and your struggle is and your past is, there was ultimate grace, ultimate ultimate forgiveness, ultimate love and acceptance on the cross. And that was substantiated and validated when the world changed, when a dead guy came back from the grave. That's why I'm a Christian, because I'm so deeply convinced of the resurrection. So here's my hope. Maybe you're in here and, and you're wrestling with faith. I hope that today that clicks for you. I hope today that makes sense for you. More than that, I hope that today it's almost as if something was revealed to you. You should read it for yourself. Mary goes into the tomb. It's empty. She's talking to Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus. She has a conversation. She says her, she didn't think he is risen. She said, where did he go? She's talking to Jesus. Doesn't know she's talking to Jesus. And she says, you know, just tell me, tell me where he is. I won't tell anybody. It's like the teacher in the third grade that says, hey, every head bowed, every eye closed. Somebody throw the glue stick forward because somebody stole the glue stick. You're not going to get in trouble. Just let me know. Just somebody, somebody return the glue stick. Just where did he go? Mary looks at her, or Jesus looks at Mary and says, Mary. He says her name. And all of a sudden, the dots connected and the world changed. I'm hoping that for this morning, Maybe for the first time ever, or for the first time as an adult, 
You had a faith that you walked away from when you were younger. You had a faith that you walked away from because something somebody said. You had a faith that you walked away from because you transitioned in life and you went to this new place in life and this new phase of life and your faith all of a sudden became less and less important. I hope that today is the day that you connect with your heavenly father for the very first time or for the first time in a long time. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And we're going to do the whole old school, every head bowed, every eye closed, because it's Easter. Why not? And I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. We're not going to draw it out. We're not going to have you come forward. I just want you to raise your hand to say, yes, I want a relationship with that, that Jesus. I want him to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I believe in him. I believe in his death. I believe in his death, resurrection and that I now have a relationship with him. I'm not going to draw it out. In fact, I'm just going to count to three in the middle of the prayer. And I just want you to raise your hand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for preserving these documents that we can look back and see a man named Paul whose life was changed when he met a resurrected Jesus. God, we ask and we pray that you would connect with your people. The same way that you did, perhaps somebody walking in, walked in here, not expecting to believe, not expecting to see, not expecting to know a resurrected Jesus, but this morning you have said their name. You have connected the intellectual with the personal, and you have revealed yourself to them. Jesus, I ask and I pray that you would do that. Maybe they're in here and their heart's beating and pounding, and, and, and they just don't know how to make sense of all, but Jesus, I pray that you would just give a calmness. And if that's you, and you're in here, and for the very first time, perhaps for the first time as an adult, you want to place your faith, your hope, your trust, that Jesus died for your sins, died for my sins, and was raised back from the dead. We're not going to play a bunch of music. We're not going to have a lot of background. We're not, I mean, it's, 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 as an adult, you need to make this decision because you are convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that's true, then nothing else matters and you want to live your life for him. So in a second, I'm going to count to three. And I just want you to raise your hand. And if God has revealed himself to you, there is nothing I could do to talk you out of raising your hand. You would be willing to run around the sanctuary and shout, I love Zaxby's. I don't know. You would be willing to do whatever it took because you have seen the glory of the resurrected Son of God. So if that's you, on the count of three, for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Very cool. That's incredible. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins to make a way to you to pay a price that I couldn't pay. You conquered sin and then you conquered death when you rose from the grave. I believe you are the resurrected Messiah, Son of God. So come be my Lord, be my Savior. And since I believe that's true, then nothing else matters. So I give you my entire life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.